afternoon. Hey, you got something you can do tonight. On the end of those pews are those little placards that say, do not sit here. On your way out, grab one of them and carry it home with you. And if you would like to, go ahead, JT. If you would like to frame that and put it on your mantle or whatever you like to do, you take it because we don't want them anymore after this service. So, yeah, uh, you know, we're going to hear a lot of destruction tonight, but I'm all for that. Okay, also a couple of things to keep in mind. I got an update about Carter Acock. Says it's been a long 48 hours, but we're seeing some progress again. We're getting a constant blood pressure. He looks better than he did last night and is more active. Carter's now turned into a turnip and doesn't want to share enough of his blood. Today's a good day so far. Keep the prayers coming. And we're going to do that, aren't we? We want to see that little baby flourish and do well. And then I, the Kendricks are sitting way back there, but they are on go right now. Caitlin has been admitted to the hospital. And from what I gather, she's progressing quickly. So if you hear a whoosh of wind, they're bolting out from their chair. And if you hear the door slam, do not be alarmed. It's just that, you know, the, the vacuum that they create as they're flying out the door to the parking lot is causing the door to slam hard. So we, we pray for these two that all is going to go well. And we'll start with a, start with a prayer tonight. Then after that, let's, let's sing a song together. And then we will continue uh, in our study through the five books of Moses, first five books of law in the Old Testament. And tonight we're going to start our general overview of the book of Numbers. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you thankful for a great day today. And we're thankful to have the news about Carter that there's been some progress. He's doing some better. And Lord, we're just praying so much that you will uh, bless him, that he'll get stronger every day, and uh, that you'll bless this family too. Uh, must feel a lot of anxiety about all of this, but we trust you for every single thing. And we're just asking you to hear our will in this, that all will be well. And we also pray for Caitlin this very hour as she's um, ready to give birth. And we pray your blessings on her and the baby that all will go well. And, and if it is that uh, Dale and Emily are able to drive over there, we pray for a safe trip for them. And all others, there's so many uh, new births and additions to families lately, and we just rejoice in that, but we don't take anything for granted, and we just pray safety for everybody involved. And please be with us tonight, Lord, as we're studying another one of your tremendous books together. Uh, I pray that we'll commit ourselves to reading these books, however, however difficult that seems at times, but with the idea that knowing more about what has happened and your dealings with uh, people of the past, that it will help us in our relationship with you. And we'll learn from the mistakes that we see people have made 
so that we will be faithful to you no matter what. Thank you so much, Lord, for all that you'll do through that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 752, 752. Seven fifty two. This is my daily prayer. God bless you, go with God. Hold fast his mighty hand throughout the day. His prayer for you. You'll go with God. But our prayer is that we'll go with God. Wait, how long? For all eternity. Isn't that what we want? I sure do. I cannot wait. But in the meantime, we have to live here and experience the things that come our way. And we're well instructed in the New Testament scriptures. We have all things that pertain to life and godliness, all of that's made possible through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But there are people who lived in the past who had an interaction with God and God hoping the very best for them, promising the very best for them, providing everything that they needed in order to be a faithful, prosperous people, but they were unfaithful. 
and what we learn about their unfaithfulness, we ought to be able to translate to our own lives, realizing that, you know what, ultimately, always the best choice is going to be to do it God's way. Because if we don't, we're going to suffer the consequences as a result of it, and we will have no one truly to blame but ourselves. Tonight, we are looking at the book of Numbers. How many of you have already read through the book of Numbers as part of your assignment? About four of you. So listen, I am just psyched and fired up about your participation so far. (laughs) But listen, please, please, please. How should I say it that you will do it? With a little cherry on top? How many of you like your ice cream with a cherry on top? Okay, about four of you. <laughs> okay, please be reading these because otherwise this is, this is just an exercise for me. I don't, I don't want that to be true. I want all of us to benefit. And really, the work is yours. I'm not getting into every detail, getting into very few details, in fact, with the idea that what I want to do is present general ideas that we can derive from the study of those books, uh, help us kind of see how that book fits in the big picture of things. And we're, we're really moving through these five books that were of such tremendous importance and import to Israel for generation after generation after generation. So please uh, show due diligence in reading those books. Now, of course, I'm not the Bible class police. And if you don't do it, peace. I still love you. I really do. But I'm just saying it's, it's to your benefit to be that involved. So the book of Numbers is, well, it's kind of interesting because this is the book that covers the 40 years of wandering. That's a W-A-N-D-E-R-I-N-G, the wandering, the going about in the wilderness. It describes the sin that was associated with their unfaithfulness. When 12 spies were sent into the land, 10 of them calculated that they would not be effective in eradicating the inhabitants of that land. And that generation of people were pretty much set on going back to Egypt. You know, we failed. This, this is not workable. Let's give up. We're just, we're not suited to this. They believed that they, in the sight of those inhabitants, especially the giants that they found, that they were grasshoppers in their sight and in the sight of the giants. And so they just, you know, they recognized how valuable the land appeared to be and how suited it was to the vast numbers that they had. Nevertheless, they did not believe that they could be successful. I find that amazing that they would deduce such a thing given the success that they had already witnessed in the first two years, or the first year anyway, of their dealings with God and how faithful he was and powerful in his demonstration. Nevertheless, This book covers those 40 years. However, here's an interesting fact. If you read through it, you may notice it, and you may not. You may just get wrapped up in all this being talked about. But actually, this book, 
though it covers 40 years, only gives much detail to actually two of those 40 years. It gives emphasis to the second year that they were there, the second year following their freedom from Egyptian captivity, and then the 40th year as they are preparing themselves to enter into the promised land after 40 years of wandering around in that wilderness of Zen. I just find that kind of interesting. Now, there are two instances in which we see events that take place other than those two years. And you'll find those two events described in chapters 16 and 17. I kind of get from the reading that it's probably the same event, although there are two different types of actions that take place. Certainly, all of it is intertwined. The first in chapter 16 has to do with the rebellion of Korah. Now, Korah and his cohorts thought that, you know, they, they could do better than Moses and Aaron were doing. They became jealous, and they suggested that Moses and Aaron weren't the only ones capable of dealing with God. And you know how God works. God's way is always going to be the right way. And that rebellion resulted in the opening up of the earth and the swallowing down of those rebellious people. The second is in chapter 17 that follows in the heels of that, probably related, but I'm not sure exactly. It has to do with Aaron's rod that budded. So it wasn't just an affront to Moses, but also to Aaron's capacity as the high priest. So those two chapters are events likely connected, maybe not necessarily, but they're two events out of 32 years that are not covered by the other two emphasis, chap, um, year two and year 40. I know that you've just been so excited about how these books are named, and so I thought that we would talk about that a little bit too. Just as is the case with the first three books that we have examined, guess what? This book is the same way. It is actually originally titled on the basis of the very first Hebrew word that is found in the text. Uh, W-A-Y-Y-E-D-A-B-B-E-R would be the English transliteration of those Hebrew letters. And it literally means, and get this title, he has said, <laughs> I don't know, not very catchy, is it? But the Jews tended to title the book according to the first words of the book. And so that's how it came down. Now, apparently some Jews were not necessarily satisfied with that. So they came up with an alternative rendering. And instead of basing it on the first word, they based it on the fifth word of the text, which means in the wilderness. Aha, that means something, right? Because it relates to us exactly what's being covered there, <laughs> at least two years of it. Another thing that's kind of outstanding about that is that uh, much like the other books, uh, aside from the Jewish renderings and the take from the initial statements, both the Greek and the Latin Vulgate titled this book Numbers. That's, that's the English translation of those words. 
Numbers. And, of course, that's what you have most likely in your book. It's the book of Numbers. Now, Numbers reflects two numberings of the people. And it kind of goes along with the idea that I expressed, okay, we're looking at year two, which is the initial push free from Egyptian bondage. Who are we as a people? How big are we? And then 40 years after, wherein they take another census to determine how many people are available to go into the promised land. Those happen in the very first chapter, the numbering chapters, chapter 1, and also chapter 26. So if you're interested in how the numbers developed and how the tribes fleshed out and all that, you'll be looking for those. You hit it when you first begin the book, and then you kind of get it toward the end of the book as they're preparing themselves to enter into that promised land. So what you've got is a book that... I said covers 40 years. Two years into it, they're there at Mount Sinai, and then 40 years into it, they're preparing themselves for entrance into that promised land. Okay, now I want to deal with the message of the book, and that will take up the majority of what we're going to talk about here tonight. This this is a book that describes a journey of 40 years. However, it's also a book that is full of discouragement because what ended up being 40 years likely would have normally been a trip of just a few weeks. It's the result of absolute unfaithfulness to the Lord. Would someone read for us the New Testament reflection on this? It's Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 19. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 19. Okay, thank you very much. Did you hear that? We see that they could not enter in because of, and this is going to be a key word, unbelief. Unbelief. Now, I want someone else to read. This is a longer section. Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. And we're going to look at verses 29 through 35. Numbers 14. Verses 29 through 35. Who would read that? And when you read, just read as though you were reading to a million people. Oh, or at least like you were reading to about a hundred people. Numbers 14, 29 to 35. Your dead body shall fall. Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said, would I would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. 
Oh, man. The Lord says, now, now when God says it like this, it's for sure. The Lord says, this is what I'm telling you is about to happen. And this is happening because you were unfaithful. And I noticed at least three different times he mentioned that their dead bodies were going to fall. And then he ended it by saying, you're going to die. Okay, so in those short few verses, let's see what is the conclusion of the matter. They were unfaithful and what was going to happen to them? They're going to die. You're going to die in this wilderness. Okay, now let's back up. Here was the idea. Go send those spies into the land. What should happen is they come back and say, man, it is, it is just like God said it was going to be. And they did that. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. They bring back grapes. They have to carry bunches on a, on a huge stick to carry it. I mean, it's like, wow, this place is amazing. But the Anakim are there and they'll just squash us like we're grasshoppers. So, you know, guess we better not do it. If we go in there, we'll... What would happen to us if we go into Canaan, they thought? We'll die. We'll die. And you know, we don't, we don't want to die. So guess we better go back. What did God say was going to befall them because they were unfaithful? You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die because you didn't, you didn't trust me. You did not trust me. And he says, you know those children that you use as an excuse? You said, oh, the children, they're going to perish over here in this land. God says, those very same children that you said were going to perish in the land, I'm going to do what? I'm going to preserve them. I'm going to give them that land and they are going to prosper. I'm telling you, you have been unfaithful to me and you are going to pay the consequences of your unfaithfulness. Does God mean business? He does. And here's the thing. You know, God has dealt with his people continually and through their unfaithfulness. He has always and constantly been faithful despite their actions. Over there in Hebrews chapter 3, we're reminded, you know, God's the good guy here. God was giving them land of promise. This was a promise that was originated with Abraham and God has been with them through 400 years of sojourning there in Egypt. When they cried out, God remembered his promise and he acted and he delivered them, gave them a tremendous leader, escorted them from the, the grip of the most powerful nation, the most obstinate leader on the planet. And still having seen the miracles of God, the parting of the waters and safely walking across on dry land, despite all of that, they somehow think, oh, if we go in there, we're going to get defeated. Did you forget who it is that has promised this to you? And God has, God has had it. When we turn our back on God, when we become unfaithful, then we reap the consequences of our unfaithfulness. Because of, generally, Hebrews 3, because of their unfaithfulness, they did not enter into that land. And on the basis of their unfaithfulness, how did God cut the thing off? The text tells us. Who's going into that land? 
Okay, the young ones. Everybody who was 20 years of age and up, every last one of them was going to die in that wilderness with the exception of two people. Joshua and Caleb. What was so special about Joshua and Caleb? Okay, they were two of the 12 spies. Ten of those spies came back and they were the naysayers and they gained the backing of the people. But Joshua and Caleb did not do so. They believed that God could deliver them. And Caleb especially is just, just so fierce about it. He's ready to just go right now and makes, makes promises about the conquering of that land. And what's kind of also kind of a footnote here is that ultimately when they enter into that land and Joshua becomes the leader of the people, it is Caleb who goes to Joshua and says, hey, you remember, you remember that promise that we made? the confidence that we had in God. I may be 85 years of age right now, but I'm very well able to go up and take that. He wanted, he wanted the mountain that those Anakim were on. Can you believe it? Give me the big guys, the ones that so many people were terrified of. So that was, that was the heart and the mindset of only two. Despite all of that, God still maintains his promises to his people. He still keeps mindful of the promise of the land and he is cutting it off. That generation that was unfaithful was going to be cut off from the promise. And then their younger ones were going to be able, those under 20, were going to be able to take possession of that land after 40 years of wandering in that wilderness. And every single person that was indicted by that promise fell just as God said that they would. Okay, so this is, if you're looking at this book for a message, well, that obviously is, is one of the messages. And that is with regard to our own particular journey. We have to make a decision. Maybe you think it's continually, but we certainly have to make a decision initially in our relationship with the Lord as to whether or not we are going to remain faithful to the Lord. If we choose otherwise, then the negative circumstances of life that befall us, we only have ourselves to blame. This is also a book about faithfulness itself, just faithfulness. And the story is that the younger generation in reading this book was being reminded of all that their fathers had determined to do and the failure that they had to trust God and to know that he would deliver. So part of, part of just the reading historically of this book was, was kind of a negative account. Its first half deals with the unfaithfulness and and lack of trust in God. The second half is the gearing up with a new generation, a new strong number of people as they enter into the promised land with the assurances of God that they're going to be able to conquer it and then learning from the mistakes of their parents whom they saw perish in that wilderness wandering, having every bit of confidence to be faithful to God. And I think that's best demonstrated when you, get, when you finally get into that promised land and they go against the city of Jericho, are they faithful in that task? Even as wild an idea 
as is given to encircle that city the way that they did. God brought those walls down because they acted according to his will, according, according to his commands. At least, at least in that instance, faithfulness was demonstrated in that new generation. Okay, there's, a, there's another expression, I guess, of the, the message that we want to see. And that is, we want, we want to see that a people that's called and chosen and saved, as the Israelites were, had every advantage and benefit from God. That despite all of those positives, they were still a people who were capable of falling. I want someone to turn, isn't the book of Numbers, but it's God's statement about these kinds of circumstances. Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're going to look at two verses. Whoever the reader, Rick, would you get that one? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're going to look at two verses, verse 1 and verse 15. And listen carefully. This goes along with the sentiment of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1, and then verse 15. Okay, now stop right there. If you will be faithful, what will God do for you? He will set you above all the nations of the earth. If you will be faithful, not like that past generation, Deuteronomy, the second law, the, the reading of the second law, they're preparing themselves, getting themselves ready to go into the promised land. If you will be faithful, what's God going to do? He's going to give you great success. Okay, now verse 15. Okay, you think this people believe what God had to say? <laughs> These are the people saw. I, 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 did you count in our text earlier four different times at least God says you're going to die, you're going to die, going to die, going to die. You think that was impressed upon this people over 40 years? Absolutely. Reminder, if you are faithful, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to subdue your enemies. You're going to be good. If you are unfaithful, I promise you, as much as I am the Lord, I am going to, I'm going to punish you. This people, when they hear that, they are assured, yes, that those negative things are going to come because they've experienced it. They've been living that. They have been living the result of the misguided attempt to save themselves from what they thought was sure destruction in that first generation. Now this people is primed and ready to follow the Lord, to obey his commands, and to go receive that promise that God had given. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Will someone please read the first three verses? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to look at the first three verses. All under the cloud and all passed through the sea. 
Okay, so here is a people as, as they have come together. They are, they are absolutely blessed. It is, here we're using the analogy of what happened to them to express how beautiful the unifying aspect of baptism is, of, of the salvation that is enjoyed. But here was a people that was set apart for a special purpose as they marched forward to receive the blessings of God. You, you talk about a people that have every bit of potential, it's them. But look at Hebrews. We'll go back to Hebrews now. Hebrews chapter 3. We looked at verse 19 a moment ago. I want you to back up to verse 12. Someone read verses 12 through 19 for us. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 19. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Can we go on? Yeah, I want to go through verse 19. Okay. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who having heard rebelled, indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Who did not go in? Those who did not believe. Those who did not obey. Those who did not obey did not receive the promise. Did anybody slip through? It's like, you know, God made that promise generally, but there were some people that just so healthy and strong, they just kind of slipped through and that's okay. God just kind of speaks in generalities. Is that what happened? No, God took vengeance on those who turned their backs on him. There was no escape of the judgment of God. Now, here's the turn. This is, this is being written to brothers and sisters just like you and me who've begun their journey. It is as though we're on the same kind of faithful journey with God. This is the begin, he says the beginning of our confidence. So we have started our walk with the Lord and it is as though we are headed to the promised land. But what is going to happen to us in this journey? Are we going to be overtaken with faith, unfaithfulness? Are we going to disobey the Lord and turn our back on him? He says, if you do that, you'll be just like those folks who face the consequences of their disobedience and their unfaithfulness and their corpses fell in the wilderness. Now you may think it's a little macabre, Ken, for you to continue to talk about bodies dropping in the wilderness and corpses falling, but I'm telling you that God doesn't play around. When we have committed ourselves to following him, God's expectation is that that's where we started and we're not going backwards. He's being patient with us and encouraging and building us up in this journey. But if we turn our backs on him, we are facing perhaps a severer judgment than if we had never known the truth at all. And then in connection with that, someone also read Hebrews chapter 6. So just flip over a page or two. 
Hebrews chapter 6. Look at the first eight verses. Please read that for us. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. directed to those who once were partakers of divine things. But he says, you know what? There comes a time at which a person who effectively has thrown Jesus the Savior down on the ground and started trampling on them, there comes a point at which there is no repentance. There is no restoring them to faithfulness. As was the case with that unfaithful, ungodly, disobedient generation who perished, whose corpses fell in the wilderness, so is true potentially of us. People who have tasted of the incredible things of God, if we turn our back on that after we've truly experienced it, he says anybody who would turn their back, it is practically impossible to bring them back to repentance. Why is that? You have, you get that language? It's like, okay, and, and maybe you do this. Maybe you do this. Like when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're remembering the Lord's death. Have you ever done this? Have you ever, as you're sitting there, that pew and you're meditating, you envision in your mind, maybe you, you sculpt it in your mind, what it must have been like to be there to witness the death of Jesus. I mean, when we think, we tend to think in pictures. So maybe in your mind's eye, you're thinking about Jesus hanging on that cross and you just have a great feeling about your relationship with God. Yes, there was suffering and all that, but I'm so thankful that Jesus died for me. And when you, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, you take the bread, his body, you take the fruit of the vine, his blood. It's just a refreshing, powerful moment for you. But think also this way, as much as that is a redeeming, powerful, encouraging, a faith-building experience to partake of the Lord's Supper and to think about Jesus' death on that cross, when we sin, when we turn our backs on God, we become disobedient after having partaken of all of that, become the beneficiaries of the sacrifice of Jesus. It is like as though we enter into that scene, we take the body of Jesus, we yank him down, we desecrate that body, we throw him back up there and nail him to the cross afresh. 
throwing fresh and new sin that we've committed on that Jesus that at one point in our spiritual journey, we so highly esteemed and loved, now it is though we just spit in his face and desecrate the body. Lord, help us. Lord, help us that we would remain faithful and never become disobedient, turning our back on the Lord, even in the most trivial of ways. Because to do so is to set ourselves up for a much grander expression of fall as is described in those verses right there. In fact, uh, and this will be our last verse for tonight, somebody read James chapter 5 verses 19 and 20 and see how such a fall is described there. Again, we're talking about people who have been in this relationship. I've had my sins washed away. I am the called and the chosen and the saved. But my body, in effect, can drop and perish. My corpse can fall just as readily as was true of the Israelites in their unfaithfulness. James chapter 5, 19 and 20. Okay, so this is a person who's known the truth. They've gone astray. Someone has gone and brought them back. But I want you to notice, where was that person? Well, he was lost. What does that text say about him? You have saved a soul from certain death, and you have covered a multitude of sin. Until such time as that happens, where are they? They are dead, and they are still in their... Sin, disobedient, unfaithful to God. God help us never to get in that place. Okay, let's stop right there. Maybe you were not able to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. We have the Lord's Supper prepared, ready for you. We're going to have a prayer at the close of that prayer. If you'll go back to the chapel, you'll be served. Uh, maybe you've been thinking today, maybe it was lesson related to our confession or things related to salvation. And you've been thinking about your relationship with the Lord. Maybe you're like Laura. You just, you face struggles in your workplace or circumstances with other people that bring you down. You want to rededicate yourself. You want to refocus, uh, get your attention back on things that are right. Uh, maybe it's thoughts about what we've just been dealing with, of the, the potential to fall away from the Lord. None of us want to be in that kind of danger spiritually. Uh, maybe, maybe you need prayers of the congregation. Uh, we have elders here in this assembly. Right there's one. Where are our elders? Right there's one. And right there, we've got the trifecta here. If you'd like to speak with one of our elders or, or myself, we'll take whatever time is necessary because we want, we want people leaving here today with the assurance that they're in a right relationship with God and ready to face uh, the world out there. So if you need the attention of our elders, they'll take the time with you. Uh, let's have a prayer. After our prayer, we'll be dismissed. Our Father, we thank you for a beautiful day today, and we thank you for the beauty that we've had in here and association with one another, and fellowship, and we just thank you for the beauty of that. We thank you for Jesus, for the sacrifice that he's made for us, and tonight, just especially, I pray, 
You'll help us to remain faithful and obedient. Help us to be children that, that know their Father and are uh, voluntarily, enthusiastically walking with Him. We thank you for Jesus, all of what He's done to make our relationship with you possible. I pray that you'll bless the sick that are among us and restore their health and all those for whom we've asked special attention. And we ask, Lord, that you'll bless us with a safe journey home. If it's your will, that you'll give us a new day. Help us to act in such a way as to bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. And if you don't mind, just take those little do not sit here sheets home with you. Keep it as a souvenir, whatever you like to do. <laughs>